we're on the air here. Panama Today, Bill Wilbur, Gamboa. Glad you are with us, folks. Got a message today I want to share with you, which I preached at the Gamboa Church on an earlier date. In the shadow of the cross, as we think in terms of Jesus approaching Jerusalem and knowing what was going to happen at the cross, what was going through his mind? What were some of the purposes involved? Did he know he was going to have to die? Did he know how he was going to die? We'll look at those questions today on this special broadcast. Somebody's saying, what special broadcast? Well, every broadcast we make, I trust is special, but it's a special message I want to share with you today. John chapter 11, I'll take you there. John chapter 11, we're looking at some events just before we get into John chapter 12. John chapter 11 tells about the raising of Lazarus. We'll take you into that uh, message right now. We're looking uh, toward the end of chapter 11. It's amazing how confusion, confusing sin can make us. Verse 54, Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before Passover. Big event every year. Big event. Thousands, thousands came into Jerusalem. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Is he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. See, so the word is out. This wasn't just some spontaneous thing that some people knew about and they did at the last moment. This was something the word was spreading that this group wanted to literally get hold of Jesus and put him to death. As we look into chapter 12 now, uh, into verse 12, excuse me, um, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. I want you to see this. And they came not only because of him, but also to see who? Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. What did, what did Lazarus do? Nothing. He was dead laying in the tomb. He was raised from the dead, and now they want to kill him for it. Something he didn't do. Talk about saying, I didn't do anything, and these guys are after him. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Now, once again, what kind of logic is this? Lazarus was dead in the tomb. Jesus raised him from the dead. And what do they want to do? They want to kill him. They want to put him back in the tomb again. Didn't it give them any ideas here, perhaps, that maybe he would do the same thing again? And now more people would follow Jesus? The only idea was, let's get rid of him. Let's get rid of him. Now verse 20. Now there were some Greeks... 
just looking at something here. Okay, I went back up at verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when Jesus came into Jerusalem, when he called uh, Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look now, the whole world has gone after him. So I submit to you, it may be a new thought, that on that Palm Sunday, as we call it, when Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, that one of the reasons the tremendous number of people came out was not only for Jesus, but to see Lazarus. I mean, talk about show and tell. I mean, talk about evidence. And Jesus was with them. Now, putting this in a little parenthesis for your life. If you submit your life to Jesus Christ and you come to know him as your savior, he will change your life. You will become evidence. And when you become evidence, the non-believing world is not that excited about it. And in the, that same spirit that rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago, it's an antichrist spirit, which is in the world today, according to 1 John, that same antichrist spirit will reject you. It's not rejecting you so much because of the way you wear your hair or the way you speak or your occupation, but they're rejecting you because it's you're exhibiting a Christ-like character and the change that Christ is bringing in your life. So verse 20 says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They were also Jewish people, but they were Greeks. They came to Philip, who was one of the disciples, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, you wonder why they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to get a little first-hand encounter and first-hand introduction. So Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip both together went and told Jesus. Jesus took advantage of this little opportunity, and he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will what? While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for two semesters. No. For two decades. No. For eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Not an option. Following involves serving. And where I am, my servant also will be. You want to be where Jesus is? Have a servant's heart. My father will honor the one who serves me. Three quick points. Number one, Jesus knew he was going to die. People say, did Jesus know he was going to die? Yes, he did. I just read that. When you see, if you see, the movie, pa uh, The Passion of Jesus Christ, what you are seeing is the physical part. You see what happened to Jesus physically. As this happened to him, as he was moved from this place to this place by the soldiers, the blood that flowed, etc. You're seeing physically what happened to him. And it did happen to him. 
physically. And I would even submit to you that it happened to Jesus in such a way which is much worse than even the movie depicts, which people are saying is so horrible. And I tend to believe it was much, much worse than that. Second thing is Jesus knew how he was going to die. He not only knew he was going to die, but he knew how he was going to die. And we find that in verse 32, which is up a little further, uh, when he says, um, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He, was, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. It wasn't just an uncertain thing that was going to happen to him when he went to Jerusalem. He knew how he was going to die. And once again, this is a physical thing that happened to him. And number three, Jesus knew what his death would accomplish. Verse 24 again says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Who's the single seed? His life. What are the many seeds? It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's believers all around the world. I submit to you this morning that if Jesus Christ had not died in the way that was prescribed and he knew that we would not be here today in this church. We might not be here on earth either, but even if we were on earth, we would not be here with this hope. Now, if you stop and think for a moment that if Jesus Christ had never come to earth, there's, there's no lack of historical evidence that he was here on earth. The Encyclopedia Britannica has 25 pages simply on the physical presence of a man here on earth by the name of Jesus Christ. No problem with the historical fact, the historical Jesus. He was here. There is evidence other than the New Testament written in a, in a, uh, around the same time frame that depicts that suddenly what this man did was changing a number of the Jewish people and a whole movement was starting. Something spiritual was happening dynamic in such a way that people became not Christians. They weren't called Christians for quite a number of years. They were called the followers of the way. The followers of the way. They met still in the temple. They still met at synagogues. They were not ashamed. They were just part that were believing that this person who came simply surely was the Christ. Now, because we're going to have the Lord's Supper communion in a few minutes, I want to emphasize what Jesus actually did on the cross. Because what he did physically, yes, you can see. You can see the evidence of it. You can see the blood. You can see the body. You can see the tomb. But something was happening spiritually. And that you can't see. But you can only take the words of Jesus. Understand those. And then see the changes in people's lives. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Not just them, but 
us down through the years, the whole thing of sin. Many times when we think of our sin, we think of bad things we've done. That is true. Are you finished doing bad things in your life? Say no. No. Are you ever going to come to a point where you're finished doing bad things? No. Hopefully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll change. And your life will show that things are happening. And you sin less. Not that you're sinless, but you will sin less frequently. But the fact is, Jesus died for those who had sinned even before he was here on earth. He died for their sins. He died for sins of people who aren't even born yet. That included us. So what was happening? He was dying for the curse of sin, which includes individual sins. So when he was dying on the cross for the curse of sins, he was dying for a penalty far greater than any of us in this room would have ever experienced for our own individual sins. Let me say that in a different way. The judgment for my sins could fall on me in such a way that it would be horrible. Separation from God, confined to outer darkness with the demons and the devil, horror, torment. But that would be just me. And, and I, I wouldn't be able to put up with my own sin. You know, there are people who end up in mental institutions because they are unable to cope with their own sin, their own guilt. That's one person unable to handle their own guilt. People go to doctors and psychiatrists with all kinds of problems related to guilt, related to unforgiveness, related to bitterness. When Jesus died, he died for everybody in this front pew. And the next pew, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and everybody in that building, and everybody on the ships going by, and everybody over in the city, everybody in the interior, everybody in Colombia, and around the world, six billion people, but all those who have lived before us, and all those who will, I can't even put up with the guilt of my own sins. And so when Jesus was suffering physically, it was horrible. But what he was experiencing, even to a far greater measure, was not just my sin, your sin, but the curse. The curse of the whole sinful realm of fallen man. That's what he was taking upon himself. The other part of that is, you and I are used to sin. We're used to experiencing guilt. We don't like it, but we know what it is, right? Say right. Yeah. We're used to having bad words, anger, thoughts, actions. We're used to living in it. We don't like it, but we know what it is. Jesus had never known the guilt of anything. He'd never known anything. When he was asked to take the garbage out, 
after supper? He never said no. So he never had the problem of having to go back and ask forgiveness from his mother or apologize. He never had to do that because he never did anything wrong. And so when Jesus was suffering on the cross, <clears throat> it was a suffering of a person who had never experienced sin and separation from God the Father. But now he was taking everybody's. Are you getting this? And he quoted at that point from Psalm 22, which had been written about a thousand years before. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because that's what sin does. It separates you from God. And he was separated from God the Father. He had never been separated from God the Father. Never as in never. Everlasting to everlasting. Never separated. So you have the two dimensions. The movie portraying the passion, the horror of what happened. And then you have this other spiritual dimension. Now listen. Jesus had his eye on the spiritual dimension of what was happening. He knew the pain that was going to happen. But he knew that what was going to happen as a result if he went into the ground dead, still without sin. That he not only would be raised... But then he would be in a position to invite anyone else to be raised on that last day. Anyone else who wanted to receive sinfulness cleansed away. The Bible says, just as if I never sinned. As if he never sinned, God looking at us through the blood of Jesus. That's heavy. That is so heavy. So, so heavy. We are not all world religions climbing a mountain and all coming to God the same way. No, 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 no. There's only one who took care of the sin problem. There's only one who came out of the grave. You see, that is why there was a resurrection. Was because Jesus had not sinned. When he was put to death. The grave couldn't hold him. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2. That Jesus did not get up. From the dead. God the father. Raised him. From the dead. God the father. Raised him. Because what Jesus did. Fulfilled the sacrifice for our sins. The way he did it. I think many times we're very flippant. Oh, well, if I do this, God will forgive me. You know, Jesus, come into my heart. I know you died on the cross for my sins. True fact, but missing the impact. I think if we ever get a hold of what we have been saved from and saved for, there will be anything that will keep us doing everything we can to serve the Lord and win the lost for Christ. There won't be anything that will stand in the way. 
Because every one of us in this room, even as long as you've been a Christian, have your eyes on physical things. That's good. Finishing your degree at school, making a living, taking care of the kids, dealing with problems. That's good. But that's so short. That's so, so shallow. And the only reason Jesus did what he did was to please the Father, and he saw what was beyond the grave. Can you see what's beyond the grave today? Beyond the grave. The key is, the key at the cross is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Father, forgive them. In other words, he released the human race from the judgment that they deserved. He released them. And by releasing us, it gave us the freedom to respond. If he said, Father, hold this against him, we wouldn't be free. We wouldn't be free to say, I, I, I receive what you've done for me. Because it wouldn't have been done for us. You following this? He released us, so you have the freedom and I have the freedom to respond. And Jesus says, and this is where I end, Jesus said, if you do not forgive the sins of others, neither will I forgive your sins. There is nothing that has been done against you that is greater than what you have done against God. Nothing. Me too. And as I have been forgiven, I must forgive. It is not an option. I do not have to wait till they ask me. I do not have to wait to see if they're sorrowful. I must forgive. An act of my will. Jesus was an act of the will. Beaten up, scarred, hurting, in pain, did not feel like forgiving the human race. But he did it as an act of the will because he loved them. You know, there's nothing that anybody has done against you that deserves sending them to hell. Nothing. If you knew what hell was like, you would not even want Hitler to go there. You would not want the worst tyrant in the world to go there. And you would be praying for them. And that's exactly what Jesus said because he died for the sins of Hitler, Mussolini, everyone. If Jesus' blood didn't cover all sins, it didn't cover any sins. There's no good sinners. We have all sinned, the scripture says, and come short of the glory of God. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. There's two things. One is, you are forgiven. You just need to receive it. The lie of the devil would be today to you that what you have done this week, what you did last month, can never be forgiven. You may have become a Christian 10 years ago, but you're reminded of something you did 15 years ago or five years ago. And the lie of the devil is you can't be forgiven. You can't go on. 
That's like saying the blood has lost its power, which it hasn't. The second part of this is, as I have been forgiven, I must forgive. I must forgive. People, you, Jesus wants you to forgive because he wants you free. You need to forgive. Even if the person is dead, you need to forgive them. Even if it's a government, a race of people, an individual, somebody you don't know in another car, wherever it is, you must forgive them as an act of your will. Release them today. You have no right to hang on to it anymore. Release them and let them go in Jesus' name.